0: I'm going to ask you to open your bulletins to look at the Bible reading, which comes from 2 Peter 1, and we're going to read responsib- responsibly, 3 through 9. I'm going to ask you to read with me, if you're able, starting at verse 3. So we all together, ready, read. His divine power has given us everything we need for a life in godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past. So ends the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Ryan. Um, So as you heard Ryan mention, this is the one-year anniversary of our first regular service at Grace Valley Church. So, happy anniversary. Pretty exciting uh, to see what God has done uh, in us and through us in this uh, this last year. And yeah, we pray that God will carry on and uh, that he'll grow us spiritually, numerically, uh, and ultimately uh, for his glory, so that we'll be effective in our calling here at Grace Valley uh, to be a light in this community. Uh, just so uh, you understand as a guest what how some of the things work here uh, with our, our, our message, you'll see a, uh, on the back there's a an outline of the sermon if you would like to follow along, and also... Uh, we, we take opportunity whenever possible to maybe take questions uh, at the end of the message from those who uh, may want to ask something for clarification. For example, uh, if you don't want to raise your hand and ask that question, you'd rather just, like, text me, then you can do that. Uh, the phone number is right there in the bulletin, or 905-517-0936. So then you can text your question uh, rather than raise your hand to ask it. So we are currently in a series uh, right now trying to understand how the gospel, this message, Jesus lived the life I should have lived, he died the death I should have died, this good news that Christ lived, died, and rose again, how this has an impact on our day-to-day lives. How do you work it out into the nitty-gritty of everyday living? It's one thing to come to church on Sunday and hear an inspirational message about how Jesus died for you. It's another thing to take that message that Jesus died for you into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and into your life at work and into your life at school and into your life in your relationships and actually have this news that Jesus died for you and now lives for you affect the way you live. See, sometimes people get the impression uh, that really Christianity is all about escape from hell. That it's basically this look. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, then the God who wants to punish you for those sins and put you in an everlasting torment called hell, he will no longer do that. You will escape that and you will live forever and with him in paradise. And that's basically the extent of Christianity. And I don't want to minimize that aspect of it and say, well, you know, it's not really about that. In fact, it actually very much is about that. Uh, the book of Hebrews describes for us a little bit how serious this is. In, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, it says this. This is verse 30 and 31. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And furthermore, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it says this. Our God is a consuming fire. And so I don't want to minimize this idea that escaping God's just judgment for sin is a big part of being saved, for, uh, uh, of believing in Jesus, and a big part of your Christian faith. I don't, want to, I don't want to minimize that. However, I want us to understand that the gospel is not just doing something for us. It's doing something in us. It doesn't just do something for us, saving from our, us from our sins. It's supposed to be doing something in us, changing us, affecting us. The Bible says that Christians are supposed to spiritually mature, or they're supposed to grow, or they're supposed to bear fruit. The idea is, I mean, it's all different language, but it's all meaning the same thing, which is basically this. There's this sense of advancement. There's this sense of development. There's this sense of progress that's supposed to happen in a Christian's life. There's supposed to be change. And the reality is, unfortunately, there's a lot of Christians sitting in their pews, or in their chairs, I suppose, holding on to their born-again certificate, without much happening in their life, without much change going on inside them. For example, there are people who can be tremendous leaders in the church. Maybe they have vast biblical knowledge. They know all kinds of stuff about theology and doctrine and, and all that kind of thing. They serve like crazy. They're, they're in leadership positions, and they're, maybe they stand up at the front and they do a lot of talking. wonder who does that. But they can go home and, frankly... They're a jerk to their family. They're a husband who's distant and harsh on his wife and on his children. There's very little love and affection in their home. They, they seem to lead this kind of double life. And so they have all this head knowledge about the gospel, but there's not much happening inside them. Okay, maybe they've learned more things, and maybe they've become a little bit more patient in the course of their lives, or they've, they've dealt a little bit with their anger, but there's no real significant change And the Bible says, that's not how it's supposed to be. The Bible says that the gospel doesn't just do things for you, it does things in you. How in the world does it do that? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at this text together. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to see five things about growing in grace. Five things about growing in grace, and they're all outlined in your your, uh, sermon notes on the back of the bulletin. Here we go. What do we learn about growing in grace or bearing fruit or whatever, we're going to define that as we carry on, so don't worry if you don't know what I'm talking about. We learn, first of all, that growth is actually possible. You know, in verse 5, uh, Peter gives this list, right? He says, uh, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And add to goodness knowledge, and add to knowledge self-control, and add to self-control perseverance, and add to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. And Peter is giving here a representative list. He's not giving a comprehensive list, okay? He's giving a representative list of the kinds of things that ought to be happening to a believer. They should be growing in these kind of things. And maybe you're here this morning, and you're reading that list, and you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, you know... I get how like maybe super Christians would really advance in that kind of stuff, but you got to understand, maybe you're here and you're looking around at the other people in the room, not like obviously because you don't want to look weird, but you're looking out of the corner of your eye and you're thinking, well, maybe, maybe these people here who've got their life together and who look like, you know, like they're good, upstanding citizens, maybe they could like make some serious advancement in any of these areas, but, but someone like me who is like completely messed up, you don't know what I come out of. You don't know the kind of garbage that I grew up in. You don't know the kind of the kind of mess that I'm living with. I can't expect that I'm gonna actually change and, and develop and 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 get these kind of things. Maybe the best that I can really expect from Christianity is that I have my sins forgiven and that I'm accepted by God and that one day He will He will bring me into His presence and let me be uh, with Him forever. And you may think to yourself, well, you know, or maybe that sounds to you that sounds like kind of humble. You know, I don't have too great of an expectation. I I I'm I'm being humble. And the reality is actually no, you're not. You're being arrogant. What? What do you mean? Well, I I want to use this illustration and I know that I know that, you know, We've learned a lot of things about Bill Cosby in the last little while. But there was a show called The Cosby Show, which which was a very funny show many, many years ago. And there is a scene where Dr. Huxtable is talking to his son, Theo. And Dr. Huxtable is married to a lawyer, Mrs. Huxtable, and they have this son, Theo, who's in high school. And Theo says this to his dad when they're having a conversation about his performance in school. He says, Dad, you're a doctor and mom's a lawyer, and you're both successful in everything, and that's great. But maybe I was born to be a regular person and have a regular life. If you weren't a doctor, I wouldn't love you any less because you're my dad. So rather than feeling disappointed because I'm not like you, maybe you should accept me for who I am and love me anyway because I'm your son. Very powerful statement. Very beautiful statement. There was The the student, the the audience, studio audience, I think, like clapped their heads off when they heard that. And and Dr. Huxtable, he looks at Theo and he says, Theo, that's the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. No wonder you get D's in everything. You're afraid to try because you're afraid your brain is going to explode and it's going to ooze out of your ears. Now, I'm telling you, you are going to try as hard as you can, and you're going to do it because I said so. How's that for tough love, hey? But listen, listen. In verse 3, Peter says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness you hear that his divine power has given everything we need that has given is a is a past perfect which means the action is done but the consequences continue to go on and on and on and on and on and on on. this past action has ongoing consequences the past action is that jesus lived died rose again That's the power of God unto salvation, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1. That's the the powerful act of salvation that Jesus accomplished. But the, the results continue on in the present, in today. And if you say, I can't change, I can't grow, I can't bear that kind of fruit, you are denying God's power. See, when you have faith in Jesus, when you really do believe that He is the Son of God who lived for you and died for you, that means that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Creator of the universe, has taken up residence inside of you. And that means that this power, the power that flung billions of stars into the universe and names them each one by one, the the power that says, I know how many hairs are on the head of each and every one of you people and not one of those single hairs falls without my knowing it. That power is inside you. And you're going to say that that power can't overcome your bad attitude or your bad temper or your lustful tendencies or your addictive personality? With all due respect, who do you think you are? Change is possible. So don't settle for anger, for gossip, for addiction, for bitterness, for covetousness, for irritability, for ungratefulness, for stinginess, for glumness. God's not settling neither should you. That's the first thing. Change is possible. Growth is possible. Second thing though, growth gro- gross. growth, is synergistic. What a cool word, eh? Growth is synergistic. Verse 5, Peter says this. He says, For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort. Effort. Peter is saying, you got to work at this. you got to work at this. Look, sometimes Christians have this idea in their head. They're like, you know, I know that, that God is the one who works. God has to do these things in me. And therefore, they kind of just sit back and wait for Him to sort of zap them. You know, okay, I have, you know, I have a real hard time with forgiveness. I'm going to ask God please make me more forgiving and then just kind of wait for him to make it happen. But Paul, Peter says, he says, make every effort Yes, the Holy Spirit works, but you have to work too. You see, synergistic means two energies are at work together. Monergistic means only one energy is at work. The Bible teaches that in your salvation, it is monergistic, the, that God enables you to be saved. He enables you to believe and trust in Jesus. He does all the work. He accomplishes it. It's monergistic. But when it comes to growing in your faith, it's synergistic. Paul, he says in, in Philippians, he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Not go get it. You've already got it. Not go obtain it. You've obtained it already. But he says, work it out. Or, or, or you could almost say even, work it in. You are called to work it out in your life. And you say to yourself, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I work it out? How do I work it into my life? And of course, that's where the spiritual disciplines come in, Right? You don't know what God's will is? Read the Bible. You'll find out pretty quick. You want to have any kind of communion and relationship with God? Talk to Him. That's prayer. Come to worship. These are spiritual disciplines. We meet, we gather together, we hear God's word together, we encourage one another. That's all part of it too. But that's not it. You've got to have Accountability. Engage groups are actually supposed to be a place where a little bit of that happens, where you share your life with one another, you share your, your, your struggles with one another, and and your, your engaged group buddies or friends or brothers and sisters or team, I don't even know what to call each other, fellowship, you don't just say, oh yeah, I'll pray, but you check up on each other. The next week you talk, and you say, so how's it going with that issue? Have you been able to forgive that neighbor? Are you able to get along better with that colleague? Have you been able to stay away from clickbait? That's, that's, that's a discipline as well, but that's not all there is to it either. You have to practice those things that are characteristic of kingdom living. So you practice simplicity over materialism. You, you work at... Becoming content with what God has given you rather than buying into the world's way of living, which is to constantly acquire more and more, like we talked about last week. You say you're going to practice the discipline of honesty instead of dishonesty. You're going to practice the the discipline of purity rather than sexual license. You're going to practice the discipline of of service over power. I'll give you a very concrete example. There's a a Christian... uh, architect in Hamilton by the name of Emma Cubitt. Some of you maybe have heard that name before. And uh, she is par- at the forefront of a movement called the Tiny House Movement. And it's all about simplicity, and, and it's rooted in her faith. She doesn't, she doesn't like uh, proselytize heavily or, or anything like that and show that this is where it comes from. But basically what she's saying is, is look, we now live in an age where the average house in Ontario is 2,000 square feet. But families are shrinking. And so the number of people living in those 2,000 square feet is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And she says, she's arguing, rightly, I think, that this is, it, this is essentially unsustainable. But it's because we have bought into this idea that we need all this space. And she's kicking against that, that, that worldly perspective and she's encouraging people to learn how to live creatively in smaller spaces. Well... Is your house too big? These are the disciplines that we're talking about. See, when you do that, when you you start practicing these disciplines in concrete ways, all right, the gospel becomes the center of your life. It becomes that fulcrum on which your decisions are made and it it becomes habitually the way you discern everything. Notice I keep saying, it becomes, it becomes, it becomes. And that's because, third point, growth is gradual. Yes, growth is synergistic, but growth is gradual. In verse 8, Peter says this. He says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, you possess these qualities in increasing measure, meaning you start from... from having very little, and you are eventually going to grow and have them in increasing measure. You're going to have more of these qualities. Now, this is a hard thing for us because this means that, that this process of growing is a slow process. It's not something that happens overnight. Here we are in instant gratification land, right? Modern 21st century North America. We want things here and now, and some things you just can't get quickly. You know, you can slap up a row house in a couple of months, no problem. But you ever see these stone castles in Europe that have stood the test of time? They're hundreds and thousands of years old and they've not shifted on their foundation and started crumbling. They're still there. You can't build one of these castles in no time flat. And the reason I'm using this architectural kind of uh, metaphor is because the Bible teaches that, that you and I are the Holy Spirit. We're bodies, are, sorry, we're not the, <laughs> reset. The Bible teaches that you and I are the temples of the Holy Spirit, that when He comes and resides in us, we become His sanctuary, we become His temple. He's turning us into a beautiful cathedral. Have you seen these beautiful cathedrals like in Quebec or, or in Europe and, and how majestic they are? You can't build something like that overnight. The Holy Spirit is a master architect and a master artist and he will not be rushed in turning you into something beautiful. It's gradual. Now, even though it's gradual, however, fourth point, it is inevitable. Spiritual growth, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, it is necessary. Now, this one's going to be really hard for you to hear what I mean by hard is not that you're hard of hearing but that you're not going to like what I'm going to say. So this is when you should really listen. Where it says in the text in verse 8 for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure it actually obscures Peter's point a little bit because the, the Greek the original language is not kind of conditional like if the if is not supposed to be um, conditional and a question mark. It's actually supposed to be certain. So what, what Paul is, or sorry, Peter, what Peter is actually saying is he's saying, you have, you possess these things in increasing measure. So the if is assumed. In other words, what he's saying is, is I'm talking to believers, I'm talking to people who have the Holy Spirit, I'm talking to Christians. They possess these things and they will increase. You must have them if you're a believer. See, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you're here this morning and you're, this is something new to you and you don't quite understand how Christianity works, listen very carefully to this. To be a Christian means to be alive. And you say to yourself, well, I am alive. Like, my heart's beating, I'm breathing, I am alive. What do you mean alive? It means being spiritually alive. You are not just a physical being, you are a spiritual being as well. And scripture teaches that outside of the Holy Spirit's work in your life, you are spiritually dead. You may be spiritual in the sense that you have an interest in spiritual things, you've done some reading in, uh, in Buddhism or other religions or this kind of thing. It doesn't mean you don't have an interest in spiritual things. It just means that you have not been connected to he who is spiritual life, which is God himself. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you become spiritually alive. That's why you always hear Christians talking about being born again. You're not born physically again, but you are born spiritually anew. You are are awakened to a sphere of existence that you did not know existed before. But here's the thing. As John Henry Newman put it, the only evidence of life is growth. The only evidence of life is growth. How do you know you're alive? How do you know you're spiritually alive? Well, when you, you know, it's fall now, so everything's going dormant. But in the spring, when, when it's time to get your gardens going, you know, what you do is you rake out all the old leaves and all that kind of stuff, and then you walk through your garden, and what do you look? You look for the, the, the plants that have survived the winter. And how do you know those plants have survived the winter? You look for little bits of growth, new growth, right? Even, I mean, this is a little different, but even when you have a baby and you just have your baby, I still remember this for all my kids. Jessica would be like off to the doctor every whatever, I don't know, it starts, you know, you go once a week and then you go once every two weeks, you go, and every time they go, they're weighing the baby. Why? Gain weight. Is the baby gaining weight? That's when we know that the baby is healthy. And it's alive, it's growing, right? And so what the apostle Peter is saying here is that if you you need to find out if you're growing. You need to, to test. Are you growing in these things? Are you more knowledgeable in the gospel and in the ways of God than you were last year? Are you more godly than you were last year? Are you, are you growing in brotherly kindness? Are you loving people? Are you finding yourself more loving? Are you are you less anxious than you were? Are you less tense than you were? Are you, are you more discerning than you were? I was at an interesting thing on, 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 on um, Friday night. I was at a Celebrate Recovery group at uh, Compass Point in Burlington. And they have this open share time where you meet with... Men, this by the way is a really good thing. You meet with men and you share the things that you're struggling with. And one of the guys was talking about his entertainment use. And he was like, you know, I'm discovering that the more I learn about God and the more I'm I'm studying his word and the more I'm growing in my faith, the more discerning I'm becoming with my entertainment. I used to just watch whatever movie was on and I would just watch it and anything goes kind of thing. But now I'm like, there's things that I ought not be watching. I'm becoming more discerning. Well, that's a sign of growth, you see. And I know it's hard to see sometimes, just like in in uh, in the growth of, of animal or plants. There's there's seasons, and so there are times where the growth looks less uh, obvious. So that happens in a Christian life as well. You know, you know, during the winter time, trees apparently are still adding rings and they're still growing, even though they don't look like, like much is going on. So you need to be careful when you're analyzing, am I growing? And you're testing whether you're growing. You you can't do this like, Peter is not saying it's it's like the financial world, right? Like you just look back and you say, okay, there's been 5% interest per annum over the last five years. And therefore, I'm obviously growing. It's, It's seasonal and it's organic. It's organic growth. It's not mechanical growth that you're looking for. What do I mean by that? So if you have a pile of bricks and you just start throwing bricks on that pile, the pile grows, right? It's a growing pile. But there's, that doesn't mean there's life. That's mechanical growth. That's not organic growth. And you need to be, need to be careful that you're discerning the right thing because sometimes, listen, there are people who, who think that they're growing because they're being very, very busy, so they're, they're adding Christian service on top of uh, Christian service, and they're, they're maybe always going down to the church, and they're part of the next Bible study, and they're part of that leadership team, and they're part of that mission team, and they're part of that hospitality team, and they do, 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 do do. That doesn't mean they're growing. If anybody knows this better than a preacher, I would love to meet them, because the preacher is the most susceptible from this out of all people. You preach your sermon? People come to you and they say, you know, I'm really, I'm really understanding the gospel in new ways. Your preaching really speaks to me. I'm growing spiritually. And the preacher can think to themselves, wow, you know, I'm doing a great job here. I must be really bearing fruit. No, you're not. You're helping them bear fruit. That doesn't mean you're bearing fruit. This is why I remember when I said uh, a couple at the beginning, I said, you know, that you can get these people who they know the Bible really well and they're really really involved in leadership in the church and all that kind of stuff, and then somehow when they go home, they just, they're terrible to their family. You think to yourself, how is that possible? Well, this is how it's possible. They're not focusing on bearing fruit. This is why you can hear stories of, you know, very influential preachers in the Christian world who have had Tremendous impact on many, many people and have done really great work. And then you find out they're caught up in all kinds of crazy sexual sin or, or financial stuff or whatever. And you think to yourself, how is that possible? This is precisely how. But you do need to look, you do need to analyze. And friends, if you analyze and you say to yourself, you know what? I don't see a lot of growth, I don't really see any growth. You've got to ask yourself if you're one of two things. Am I a believer? And that may well be the case. You've been going to church a long time, but you've never really believed the gospel. And so then you've got to go back to that gospel, and you've got to cry out to God, help me to understand and to believe, really believe that I am a sinner in need of your salvation. And if you're not that person, maybe you're the other kind of person. And that I'll describe and explain in this last point. Growth is achievable. You're a person who hasn't been growing. You're a person who hasn't been developing. You're a person who, has, who remembers perhaps seasons of tremendous growth and now you are just like in the doldrums and you don't know what's going on and you're not sure, you don't understand why things aren't changing. Well, look at verse 9. Because in verse 9, Peter gives us a very perceptive insight into why we often don't grow. He says, if anyone does not have them, he's talking about those gifts that have been growing in increasing measure. But he says, if anyone doesn't have them, He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Basically, Peter is saying this. If you see that you're not growing in these things at all, perhaps what's happening is, is that you have lost sight of your identity in Christ. He's saying you're a believer, but you've lost sight of your identity in Christ. You have forgotten that to be a Christian means to be, to be cleansed. You have forgotten that when God looks at you through Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Him, that, that He sees you not as a, a sinner, but He sees you as someone who is pure and someone who is holy, who is loved and lovable. You are fully accepted through His work. And Peter is saying that often what happens to Christians is, is that they, they, over time, they lose sight of that. And because they lose sight of that, they stop bearing this kind of fruit that he's been talking about. We forget that we have been cleansed. Let me unpack why this is, how this works. In Scripture, to forget something does not mean, oh, it slipped my mind. Right? When, when, when God remembers his covenant. It talks about that in the Old Testament several times. And and the people cried out and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. It's not like God was, this is God of course, right? So it's not like he was like, that's right. I had this covenant with these people. I forgot all about it. That's not how it works in scripture. In scripture, to remember something, okay? To remember something is, is to live out of something. So when you have forgotten something, when you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins, what, what Peter is saying is, is that you're not possessed by that truth. You're not living out of that truth so that it drives the way you live. Uh, there's a place where C.S. Lewis talks about how he says, you know, I don't just, I don't just see the sun. In fact, I can barely look at the sun because if I try, it blinds me, right? But because of the sun, I see everything else. Because of the sunlight, because of the sun behind me, uh, it it, it illumines the world for me and I can see and understand everything else. And so what, what Peter is talking about is he's saying that when you are possessed by this truth, when you remember that you have been cleansed by the gospel, it means not only that you believe deep down in your soul that you are accepted by God, but that actually informs how you look at and live out of the rest of the world. You possess the truth, and you're possessed by that truth. See, it's one thing to see the gospel. It's another thing to see everything else by the gospel. Let me, let me try to illustrate this, because I know I, you know I say stuff and it sounds so profound, but it makes no sense. So, you know how you're driving along sometimes, and a song comes on the radio, and you're like singing along, you're like, da, 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 da. And it's awesome, right? But it's AM radio, because everybody loves AM radio. And you go into a tunnel. And then all of a sudden, the song cuts out, because you can't get the signal anymore. And you try to keep singing. But you start realizing, oh, I don't really know the words that well. Because you start, right? And you start making up words and stuff like that. You don't really know the words anymore. And what you're discovering is, is that the song that you thought you knew, you don't really know. You need the radio, you need the song itself in order for you to sing along. You don't you have not possessed the song yourself. That's what Peter's talking about. He's saying that 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 You're short-sighted and blind. You you don't see with clarity that you have been cleansed by your past sins. And so what you do is, is, rather than live out of that identity, that new identity you have in Jesus Christ, you live out of the old identity. That's when all the old patterns start popping up again. And so, for example, if your problem with dealing with conflict is by getting angry... You you have made progress perhaps at at some time in your life. You've realized that that I don't have to be right all the time and I don't have to justify myself all the time because I am am who I am in Jesus Christ. My identity is dependent upon who I am in Him, not in being right in arguments. And so for a long time perhaps, you don't blow up and you don't explode and you're, you're pretty controlled, but then you start losing sight of that truth and you find yourself getting more irritated in arguments. You find yourself getting more more uh, more defensive in arguments until you fall back into old patterns and you start exploding again. And you're like, where did that came from, come from? Imagine, okay, here's a little kid. This is like Oliver Twist era, okay? Here's a little boy living on the street, little street urchin. He's stealing fruit and stealing bread and stuff like that to, to live. And he gets caught by the cops, And the cops take him to the king. And the king sits there and he pronounces judgment on him. You've been guilty of stealing and all this kind of stuff. But the king takes pity on the boy. And he says... I want you to come live with me. Then you don't have to be an orphan. You can be adopted by the king. You live with me in my palace. And the the boy says, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. Like, I don't deserve this. This is the opposite of what I deserve. I should have been thrown in jail, but he's taking me into into his castle to live with him. This is wonderful. And he goes to the castle, and he gets his own bedroom for the first time in his life, and it's like bigger than this room. And it's got every toy you could possibly imagine. And it's like the most amazing thing. And he gets brand new clothes put on him, and he gets a brand new iPhone X. And he gets to play with that and, and it's got unlimited data and he doesn't have to pay for it. His king father is going to pay for it. And he says, this is amazing. And then they go down to supper and they're sitting there at the supper table and they're, they're dining and they've got all this fancy furniture there and this fancy food and the silverware and stuff like that. And they're eating and it's a little awkward because the boy doesn't know the king that well. And so they're quiet and they're just eating away. And the king looks up and he sees the boy, he s- takes a knife and, and he slips it into his pocket. He's like, what the... And he keeps watching, and then he sees the boy. All of a sudden, he he grabs one of the rolls from the bowl and he slips it into his pocket too. What is going on here? Finally, he sees the kid. He takes a fork and he slips it under the under the the seat, and and he stops and he says, "Son, stop that. You don't have to do that anymore. This is all yours. Do you understand?" When you lose your identity in Christ, you, you fall back into these old patterns. And so the way that you continue to grow, the first step in continuing to grow is by going back to that identity, that new identity. Listen, maybe someone is here. Let me close with just one more practical example. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I am scared to death of something that's coming up this week. Okay. In other words, your your perseverance and your courage are flagging. Why are you so scared? I'll tell you why. It's because you've forgotten God. You've forgotten that you've been cleansed. Think about this. Think. In his free Eternal, raucous, joyous, undeserved, unchanging, sovereign love... Though you deserved a thousand hells, he at infinite cost to his son rescued you from those hells and he put his loving arms around you and received you into his heart and now whispers into your ear, you are mine and there is nothing that anything can touch, nothing can touch you without my consent. There is nothing that can happen to you outside of my will because I have made you mine. You think he's going to abandon you this week? That big thing you got to face, you think he's going to leave you on your own and say, good luck with that? You forgot. Remember that you have been cleansed from your past sins, that you are his, and bear good fruit. Let's pray. Father, help us to bear fruit. Help us to bear good fruit for your, for your glory. Help us to remember who we are in Jesus Christ. Help us to be confident that growth, that victory over our sinful nature is, is achievable. Do this, we pray, so that we will become more and more people who, who are habitually living out of the gospel each day, and so that the world will see in us that difference that difference that causes them to wonder and to ask, where does your hope come from? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.